What's good? Welcome back to a new episode of Inside the Green Room with Danny sure, Green, sure. Harrison Sanford. Uh, well, the NBA playoffs are right around the corner. The Cavaliers pretty much have their spot solidified. Uh, so let's just say, Danny, next week we will really ramp up our coverage and our previews and our look aheads. Uh, but I do. Th- but you and I thought. Uh, that this week's episode was uh, too important to delay its release. Uh, We are going to be interviewing former North Carolina Tar Heel, three-time NBA champion, 15-year NBA veteran, Scott Mm. Williams. And it's not just about what he did with Jordan that will, you know, capture your attention and and your imaginations. It's not just uh, how he was able to survive in the league for 15 years, when you hear how he got there, which I was not fully aware of, Danny, it really takes it takes you aback, and you almost you marvel at his journey. Without yeah. giving too much details, I know you did. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought I went some, through some trials and tribulations in college, but this man said he uh, has gone through some things, man, and nobody knows um, the way he handled it, the way he succeeded. That the things that he has experienced would have broke probably 90% of the world, uh, if not more. Uh, but to see him be successful as he is now, and even back then, uh, to continue to do that uh, with the hand he's been dealt, it just shows you what kind of character he's built and what kind of man he's come to be from being uh, coming from Carolina and being behind Coach Smith. He dedicated his newest book to Coach Smith and his mother. Uh, we'll let you guys uh, hear from him, and he'll give you some more details and insight on uh, you know, what is to come from the book. Yeah, we'll hear from him in just a moment. Uh, but real, just a real quick update. Uh, there is a high school basketball uh, tournament taking place in the city of Atlanta. Danny has been a part of this organization of a tournament called The Throne, where best teams from all over the country or best players from all over the country are teaming up with other players in their states. And it is pretty much formulating or operating as a national high school basketball championship. The games are airing on FS1 and NBA TV. Danny has his hands in it a bit. Now, Danny is not in Atlanta where the games are being played because he's dealing with an illness. But Danny, I know you are also excited about that and encouraging people to go out and watch. I was super excited, man. I was supposed to be there, uh, but COVID got your boy locked in. So I've been uh, in the house, locked up in quarantine for the last couple of days, hopefully be out in the next couple of days. Uh, but I was supposed to be in Atlanta, but this is one that I'm super proud of, man. And I have to give my uh, flowers where flowers are due to Darren Duncan, who is the brains and legs behind the whole operation. He's been amazing with it and getting things in place. The MBPA was amazing with helping us and partnering with us uh, to get this done. Uh, we had some great schools uh, come aboard. Um, this is year one for us. So, so NBA TV, uh, Fox Sports, be able to air it. Uh, it's a big deal, man, and I'm excited to see what, what comes about. Um, so those those who are tuning in and listening, maybe too late to, when you hear this, but just, I've been posting it on social media and Instagram and Twitter uh, to find and get your tickets. But make, be sure to, to get your tickets is the best way possible. And uh, check out the games. They start tomorrow uh, afternoon, I believe, or tomorrow evening. So uh, be sure to check them out. You can find you know where to get tickets on my social media or anybody else's social media from the throne, throne hoops, at Throne Hoops, and uh, Darren Duncan, uh, who has his own gold level uh production uh program uh but yeah be sure to check it out man it should be a, a fun time especially if you love high school hoops and I, I i sure love it i know you guys will too danny green a man of many things uh, a nba veteran uh, uh an ambassador of youth hoops i think this is what you've thrown uh you've helped put together some high school showcase events uh at barclays center before and this is just another venture in your commitment to the sport of basketball uh, and as much as it's given you, I'm, as much as uh, you've given it, I'm sure it's given you a lot. And what it has given us most recently is a fantastic interview for your podcast as we get to meet Scott Williams and know his story of triumph. And uh, we'll take a break here. And after this, you'll hear from Scott Williams. And we are back. Another episode of Inside the Green Room with Danny Green. And this time around... For those who are listening or watching, we are joined by somebody else who's won three NBA titles. We are joined by former North Carolina Tar Heel, 15-year NBA veteran, Grand Canyon color analyst, Scott Williams. Thank you for joining the show, my friend. Harrison, Danny, I am so grateful to be here. It is indeed a good day to be a Tar Heel. I have watched you guys. Your show is Wildly successful and popular. Uh, my son's a big fan. Man, 
Thank you. Now I, we, we've been big fan. I can't say much for Harrison. He probably was a Nick fan growing up, but me, <laughs> I was a Bulls fan growing up. My dad, I was, I hate to say this publicly, but I've noticed as I've gotten older that he kind of was a little bit of a bandwagoner, but um, he likes the good teams and he was a fan. I would say he was a fan of Michael, but he never was a Knicks fan. Thankfully he didn't raise me that way, but uh, I got a chance to watch you guys, you know, through the nineties quite a bit, man. I was a big fan of you. And of course, Mike Scotty, the whole team, I used to watch the Unstoppables, the, the tapes, the videos, awesome. and all the highlights. So <laughs> yeah. I know quite a bit about you guys. Um, but it's the first time get a chance to hear it up close, first and you know, foremost, and the fans get a chance to hear it. Um, you get a chance to describe your time uh, there in Chicago, also in Chapel Hill. Um, but first, I'd like to get to what you have coming up next. Uh, for you, you have this book coming out. Um, talk, tell us a little bit about that and why you decided to now and, and you know, give us the, I guess, a little synopsis of it and uh, what the fans should look forward to. Yeah, yeah, Dan, I appreciate the, the opportunity to come on and, and share a little bit about this project. Kind of started during the pandemic. Remember when everything shut down, there was no sports, and uh, the Michael Jordan's The Last Dance came out. And I loved playing on my Sunday nights around the show, uh, and I got a chance to reconnect with some of my teammates as they tipped back all the way back into, like, I like to call the first dance, that first set of three championships. So talking with guys like Stacey King and B.J. Armstrong, Will Perdue, reminiscing, got me thinking about my career uh, and how I got started. And I went, you know, I started putting little things on Facebook and I went, everyone says, you should write a book. And I'm like, well, I ain't no author. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I played 15 years in the league. You know, I, I don't know if I got the skill. I, I wasn't a poor student, but, you know, I thought that was the next level. So, uh, you know, after thinking about it for a little while, I did an interview for uh, a gentleman named Ben Guest. He was writing a book. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about maybe doing myself to myself. Would you help me? So mm -hmm. Ben and I collabed on this thing and we took it all the way back and it's real and it's raw. I go back to my time, um, you know, being recruited by Coach Smith when he came out to my my house in California, invited my mother uh, to come with me uh, to the, our official visit. And she just fell in love with Chapel Hill. And, and she, before we arrived on a Friday and before we left on Sunday, she was already, you know, elbowing me in the ribs to tell close uh, to me. You know, I'm a Southern California kid. I didn't know about going all the way across country and back to the mm -hmm. South. I always wanted to go to UCLA and be a Bruin. So uh, I said, well, come down, mom. I got I to gotta just go take my, my visit to UCLA. But I fell in love with the campus and she wanted me far away from home. We I grew up in a house with a lot of verbal Less distractions. <laughs> Well, it was a lot of a lot of verbal and physical abuse, Danny. Okay. So uh, my dad would beat on us and, and put us down and beat on my mom. So she wanted to get me as far away from possible as possible. Sorry to hear that. From Los Angeles. Yeah. So during right before my fresh right before my sophomore year, I got a knock on my door uh, the first day of practice. And my roommate answered and said, Coach Smith's at the door. And I was like, oh, no, what is Coach Smith doing on my door at 730 in the morning? Like, I thought I had screwed up, missed a class. I'm going to be running to the golf course from the Smith Center for like three, for like a month. Oh, I know those punishments. And yeah, <laughs> a weighted vest on the stairs. So I, my palms start sweating immediately. And he comes in, asks my roommate, Jeff Denny. He goes, Jeff, would you step out? And he, he said, your dad found your mom and shot her and killed and killed her. And then he turned the gun on himself and he killed himself. So. You know, had I been anywhere else but Carolina with Coach Smith and the Carolina family and me being here on your podcast is evident of the legacy that he built because guys that I didn't play with that played after me, guys that played before me, it's like a brotherhood for us. You know, we're family and uh, that structure wrapped around a warm blanket around me, being in practice with my teammates having to concentrate on a Dean Smith practice. And, and Roy Williams had me for about 45 minutes. He'd wear me out as, as the big man coach uh, and be able to go to Coach Smith's office and talk to him when I was feeling really down. And I had some dark down days when I wouldn't sleep and kind of got after the beers too much. Um, and I had, you know, I had to figure it out. Like, you got practice coming up here in 45 minutes. And he'd been ready to work your tail off. He didn't take it easy on me. He didn't say, okay, you know, you look, you look tired, have it, sit down in the sideline. No, he, he sensed those days and got after me even harder. So it gave me a sense that if I can survive that, there ain't much in life that life's going to throw at me after that, that I am not going to be able to survive. So I wrote this book as a tribute to my mother and Coach Smith, who passed, as you know, Danny, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. um, because one of the things that we always had on our, on our practice plan was a thought for the day 
along with an offensive and defensive instance, and we had a thought for the day. One of the ones that always kept coming up was, it's never too late to do the right thing. Short mm. and sweet, but it just meant a lot. And I went, you know, here it is, over 30 years later, if I can do some good, now's the time to do it. That yeah, is, man. The book, the book is called Through the Fire, A Memoir of Trauma and Loss, Basketball and Triumph. Uh, go ahead and get yourselves a copy now. It obviously seems... Uh, here, Scott, that you have gone through uh, a myriad of challenges here uh, in your life and playing career. Um, I, I find myself curious, and we, we could dip all the way back in without giving away the whole book, but I, I find myself curious, you, you go through those struggles there at North Carolina, how did you even build up the, 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 the confidence, the persistence, the perseverance to then go to the NBA and not be drafted. <laughs> you know, Harrison, I, like I said, I owe a lot and, and I give a lot of thanks to Coach Smith. It's on the back cover jacket because even if somebody doesn't buy the book, I want them to know that if they read the preview, what the man meant to me. Mm -hmm. um, he, he literally would not let me give up on myself. I wanted to sit the year out uh, and go back in California. And he said, no. He said he, he promised his, my mother that he would look out for me when he when I was in school. She He wanted me close to him. He knew if I was away from the program, I would drift away. And it was probably a good chance I wouldn't have finished, come back to, to North Carolina and I wouldn't have finished school. Um, and I would have given up on my dream of playing in the league. So having him, having that support, everybody from Angela Lee and, and Ruth and uh, there. <laughs> Woods, you know, everybody in that office, man, I'm telling you, there was, there was days when they would, they would take me in the, Angela would grab me in the sob after practice and drive me back and, and cook a home cooked meal for me, you know, or, or uh, Lily and Lee would come in and Howard would come pick me up, scoop me up and, and take me back to their house for, for some grub or Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Denny would come on campus and bring some food and, and clean, you know, my little dirty apartment. So it was just the right place to be. And I was very fortunate um, the reason why I wasn't drafted was because I had a bad shoulder. I, I used to dislocate and sublex and I'd pop out in games sometimes. And, you know, like Mel Gibson style, I'd, I'd pop it back in or get it in. The doctor would do it on the bench, but I never missed no time for it. And, um, when I didn't get drafted, I was embarrassed. And I wrote down every player's name that got drafted in that, in the two rounds before me. And I, I said, okay, I, I gotta, I gotta go to work. And if I'm gonna play against pro guys, uh, I gotta get some experience against them. And Michael Jordan was playing in a camp in Greensboro for some underprivileged kids that he put on with Fred Whitfield called the Hoop Team. And uh, I went down there, and J.R. Reed, who I played with in school, and Kitty Gaddison, Charles Oakley, uh, and bang with those cats. And I was on Jordan's team, and I got an offensive rebound late in the basketball game, which was. You know, they never let me shoot. So I had to get off. I found 23 in the right corner and fired a strike. So he hit, he hit the game winner. Duh. So after, after the game, he's leaving and he calls Jerry Krause says, Hey, I think we should give Williams a uh, tryout. So Krause contacted my agent. And I ended up trying, trying out on their summer league team. And that's kind of the rest is history. Made the veterans wow. got the last spot on the team and, and rode MJ's coattails, the three championships. <laughs> wow. That's a hell of a story, man. So I can only think back to the time that I had at Carolina and some of the, the stories that, that come full circle where guys get a, a second chance or an opportunity. Um, but so during that time, just being done, I think, I don't know if you guys had the same access, but having the gym 24 hours of access, give me an outlet, you know, for the time that you thought about quitting or giving up or transferring or going back home. Um, so thinking about your story, I, I can't, imagine what you went through or even relate to even come close to that um but my dad was the head of my household and when he was incarcerated my freshman year I didn't know what to do so I had to figure out if I was going to transfer stay or not um and the, the gym being 24 hours access was my outlet to go there work out at nights clear my mind you know that type of deal um but yes to hear about some of the things you went through and have coach Smith said I've only heard some of the stories and I, I got a chance to meet the man you know very few times um and, and, you know, learn a little bit about him, but to hear about how much he cared reminds me a lot of how Coach Williams cared and how he would look out for some of his players and house them and, you know, keep them there. Um, some of them might have ruined it, but, you know, some of them, you know, took advantage of it and got a chance to get a degree and then circle back and, and get a second chance on life and actually take those life lessons and those thoughts of the day 
and, and be better human beings. So I remember those thoughts of the day um, all the time. And a lot, I have a couple of favorites and I try to carry them on and bring them throughout. And said so I carry them on to different teams. And in Memphis, we had, you know, similar situations where, you know, you put up a little different thoughts on the wall. Um, but yeah, man, that's amazing that uh, your story started that way and how, how it ended for you. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy how I think about So when I talk to my parents and my brothers, a lot of the guys that started off with a lot of limelight early on are the ones that kind of, I wouldn't say burned out quickly, um, but don't keep that, that edge the way that the guys that usually that don't, I guess that are late, the late bloomers are usually the ones that last longer for some odd reason. Um, yeah. so I tell my, you know, my I tell the parents, my, you know, the, my brothers, the friends, the family, don't worry about where your kids are right now. You want them to continue to work for something is they're already great now and they get all the limelight. Most likely they're going to be like, oh, I don't need to work out anymore. Or the people are going to catch up to them. Um, yeah. but to see you said as a, a non-drafted guy, win three rings and get an opportunity from a summer camp is an amazing story, man. It lets anybody know that it's right time, right place. Anybody can do it. Yeah, Danny, I really appreciate sharing that. I didn't know about your father. And you're right about that court being therapeutic. I had uh, Linnea Smith, uh, uh, Dr. Linnea Smith, Coach Smith's mm -hmm. wife, uh, recommended I see somebody immediately after the uh, uh, tragedy. And um, I met with a guy a couple of times and I just did not feel comfortable. I'm 20 years old. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel comfortable speaking with somebody I didn't know. And my teammates, being on the court with them, you know, having a bang and sweat and, and run lines, you know, the gut checks. Uh, that was that that was my therapy. Uh, so it's, it's interesting that you found the same sort of um, help on on the floor as well. You know, I when I wasn't drafted, I, I told you I wrote down everybody's name. I had a chip on my shoulder for more, at least at least two years. It wasn't even after I'd made the team. I, it was two years later after we won the second championship. Um, that I, I just finally realized that from as far as I started from sitting the bench three, four games in a row, sometimes I'm coming out of my sweatsuit as a rookie to playing, you know, the entire fourth quarter of, uh, when we were 15 down uh, to win our second championship, greatest comeback in the history of the NBA finals. And I played all 12 minutes and uh, well, we, we, you know, we cut it to three, then they brought MJ back and he took yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> keep it real but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he scored 12 of our last night you were part of the group but we man. cut it to three the, yeah. <laughs> the bench bunch man we were doing our thing out there so uh you know i got to play all the minutes i had an epiphany after that game like you know i can play in this league as long as i want from where i started with a bad shoulder uh, not getting playing time, used to dislocate in training camp, and I didn't want anybody to know. And I'd just try to slip it back in without letting the coaches, you know, coaching staff know. And they throw me, you know, when I was on the sideline. And uh, so much times my, my teammates would cover for me and they knew it came out. They'd sub in for me real quick, like, Williams, get out of, you know, get on out of your tank. So I, I, I always appreciate it. They were like my brothers. Uh, still good for contact with a lot of those, those dudes today. But uh, to think about, you know, having to sneak, we practiced at a health club back then, right? The league was different. We, <laughs> we practiced at a health club and we'd go two a days during training camp. And between the first session and the second session, they'd open up the floor to the, uh, the, the health club floor. They'd open it up to the doctors and the dentists and the lawyers. And the Bulls wouldn't let me practice with the team. So I used to have to sneak in between their sessions and get a sweat. I'd play the point like Magic Johnson. Well, I idolized growing up, you know, I'd be directing people, making passes and shooting, shooting from the perimeter just so I get a run and keep my time and keep my vision. Uh, and then to winning that, making that comeback, that to me was like the, the, be the best feeling in the world. It was an epiphany. Like I just thought that uh, now I can play as long as I want. And I went on to play 15 years and to always think, well, you're going to you know, win three championships. Hey, I'm going to win a lot more. Uh, but yeah. your role changes, you know, I, I took on that role. You talk about Danny, putting up thoughts of the day, bringing in little, uh, inspirational quotes, getting guys to work together. I remember my time in Phoenix, Marbury and, um, Hardaway, they were fighting us. Who's, whose team was it going to be? Right. Yeah. Trying to you being the blue guy. Together, the positive, that, yeah. yeah. Try to get these cats to play together, Danny, and realize like, Hey, the better the team does, the bigger the spotlight for all of us, you know, so we were yeah. supposed to finish like 28th in the league. We ended up making the playoffs. And took the Spurs, who were number one. Uh, we stole the first game and stole the third game. And uh, then they stepped on our throats after that. But uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, it was a good time. So I, you take on this role of what those guys like Paxson and Cartwright and Jordan were to me as a, a rookie and a second-year player. You try to help some of the younger cats that are still trying to figure it out.
for sure. And so I think we both were fortunate to be at an organization or an institution like University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, um, having said you having Dean Smith and me having Coach Williams, knowing that that they were going to push us in the right direction and push us the way we needed to be pushed to become grown men or the men that we were supposed to be. And I always heard from, you know, everybody around me, when you're a kid, you don't really understand it. You know, like the, they tell you, like, oh, the reason why he's on you is because he cares. If he didn't care, then he probably wouldn't be on you. So I think he was on me the most because he knew I could take it immensely, but he knew what I could potentially be. And I think that's the reason why Coach Smith was on you. He knew that he's preparing you for the world, and that's why he was probably on you more than the average or the other, the rest of the guys on the team and knew that you needed it more than everybody else. But, you know, Coach Williams definitely prepared me for it. And then Pop as well. Very challenging. And they knew, you know, you, you had to play with that chip in your shoulder. You're not that talented enough to, to be, you know, that guy and to not play like, you know, your job is at risk every day. So playing for Coach Williams and playing for Pop um, definitely had me, um, said you don't get a chance to really have an epiphany or reminisce as much until your you know your job is done. So it's like you're constantly looking over your shoulder, who's trying to get my job? And you might have won too, but you didn't realize what you accomplished until it has been it's already happened. You're like, oh man, I just played in the finals. You get a chance to let it soak in um, because you're so much so worried about looking forward to the next thing and to keeping your job. Um, you know, for me, it said I, I didn't I don't get a chance. I, I, I try not to reminisce as much because I don't want to be satisfied. And you know, it's one of the thoughts, one of my favorite thoughts of the day um, that Coach Williams put up is you you can tell when someone's you know natural forward progression has come to a cease is when they become satisfied type situation. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to make sure that you know I was never satisfied at what I've, I've accomplished and continue to strive for more. And, you know, there's times where you can reminisce here and there, but I try not to reminisce too much. Uh, but they definitely pushed me in the right direction uh, playing for Coach Williams and Pop, and I'm sure Coach Smith for you as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, and, I, and like I said, I had Coach Williams for two years. I, I had uh, Coach Guth Guthridge that took over. I team, uh, helped recruit Hubert Davis uh, to North Carolina, nice. the head coach now. So I feel like from, if you go all the way back to the 60s, all the way to the present day, 23, mm -hmm. uh, I got a connection to that whole lineage of coaches and uh, the knowledge that you get from, from guys like that. You know, you had Pop in the league. I had, I had Phil Jackson. And I didn't always appreciate Phil Jackson at the time because he was always, always low man on the totem pole. So he ain't going to mm -hmm. yell at uh, Jordan, right? He's going to come down as a little undrafted rookie, and I'm catching hell with, after playing six, eight minutes. Like, what, yeah, what are you yeah. yelling at me for? Yeah, he's, <laughs> so yeah, he's, but <laughs> it, 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 you, knew, you knew he wanted to push you to keep you hungry and practice, uh, keep you motivated. Like I said, I had my list, and I wasn't going <laughs> to stop playing until I had played longer than everybody on that list. And that kept me going. That kept me hungry. I played like I was on a, you know, a, a un, 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 non-guaranteed contract. I, that's what I played on for my first four years. So even after I signed my big deal uh, in Philly, an eight-year contract, a long-term deal, not a big deal, <laughs> small money. Used to have an eight-year contract. Wow. <laughs> I signed. I signed the last eight-year deal in the history of the NBA, Daddy. They said, wow. "Oh hell no, we ain't doing no more of that." <laughs> hey, I sold it for everybody. That. They said, "We ain't getting burned like that again." <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I played longer than everybody on that list except for one cat. You can probably guess who it is. From the 1990 draft cast, the only Hall of Famer from the draft cast goes by the name The Glove. Oh wow, oh, Gary Payne, one of my one of my yeah. yeah, he was a good Gary one though. Played, played. He kept he kept playing year after year. I'm like, damn. But 15, 15 is a long time, man. So yeah, you do four years of college, 15 years I, I finally, I definitely, my back, my knees, everything was shot. I was like, okay, I got to give it up. <laughs> you definitely earned being an author. You'd be able to tell a lot of stories throughout all those years. But I said I got to give a big shout out to to the people. Said so during the times that we went through our rough stages at Chapel Hill, my brothers there and my brothers said in San Antonio um, were a big part of it. And I want to shout out, take the time to shout out Eric Montrose as he's going through uh, his cancer treatments and uh, a lot of what we have brought to him, uh, the Carolina family, to uplift him, keep his spirits, you know, um, great and bright, um, has helped him, you know, through this time. Uh, so that's, that's it was a big comfort. That was another blanket for us having those guys around me during that time to be able to keep me, you know, sane and keep me happy, keep my spirits lifted. And also during San Antonio times when I had some rough patches, um, people don't realize how much that impacts you. You know, your employees, the people you work with on a day to day basis and how it can impact you in a positive light or a negative light. If you hate your, your workspace or you hate your job, it's going to affect your whole life and your whole lifestyle. Um, so being able to wake up every day and be a part of something with my brothers made it a lot easier and able to kind of you know, not think about the, the bad things in the bad times. So you know, that's what, what I love about Carolina the most, the family, the brotherhood, and the, the blanket they provide for us when, you know, things are rough. 
Well said, I, Danny. I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that about Eric because he was a teammate of mine for a short period of time in Philadelphia before they traded me out of there. But what a great dude, great family man, wonderful <coughs> in the community. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I second what you said, you know, and then if anybody wants to try to send something to E, a, a card, a well wish, you can, you can get them at the Rams Club, 450 Skipper Bowls Drive, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So you can find him there and, and send him some well wishes that he'll, I know he'll like that. I appreciate you for that, Scott. Thank you. We can tell from listening to uh, the dialogue between these two North Carolina uh, alums that the bond between Tar Heel uh, Nation is, is is definitely strong. Uh, I'm sure with everything that's happened in Danny's career, he's he could write a book. And obviously, Scott has uh, just written one. If you didn't hear the beginning of the show, "Through the Fire: A Memoir of Trauma and Loss, Basketball and Triumph." Uh, Scott, I want to get to some stories about your time with Jordan or any other time in your 15 year career. But I, I am curious as it pertains to the process of writing the book uh, with all the details that you had to go through, not just your playing career, but everything that impacted you during your playing career. What was the most difficult story that you had to tell, the most difficult time as you were sitting down with Ben Guest and trying to put and trying to visualize or put down the words of everything that you went through? Well, I loved him. I loved him, Jay. He was a fierce competitor. My time with the Bulls, like I said, I was I was there to work harder than everybody on the team, and I did that except for Michael Jordan. That dude came in after having lost to the Pistons three years in a row like a smoldering dragon. I get I literally get chills thinking about how hard we pushed ourselves to work uh, because he was the one out there leading by example. And if you were half stepping, man, if you weren't there to compete. Uh, every day and every drill and locked in on the on the game plan for the for the, uh, the game that night. Uh, it didn't know player personnel on the other team and how we were going to guard certain cats. Uh, if, you, if you were messing up on a consistent basis, MJ would be in your face. So we had a guy on our team. And this is one of the things that I kind of had to sugarcoat for the book because it was the saddest thing that I ever saw during my 15 years in the NBA. The way MJ would go at a cat named Dennis Hobson. Uh, Hop, Hop was a great guy. Um, you know, he had averaged 30 points uh, at Ohio State, led the nation in scoring. It was 16-point game score at New Jersey Nets for four years before being traded to the Bulls. Um, he was provided, he was there to bring some backup relief and some scoring from behind, from, you know, behind Jordan. And they put him in front of Jordan every day in practice. <laughs> and Michael... He wouldn't even call him hop. He called him Dennis. He didn't even call. He was the only cat on the team would call him hop. He was in his face, nose to nose. He'd talk trash to him. He'd get physical with him. He verbally and physically beat this man down till he was a shell of a player that he was. And it was the worst thing that I ever saw. But it was that he just didn't know how to turn it off. Michael mm -hmm. was that intense every day. It wasn't a personal thing. He just wanted hop one day to go enough and just throw down and get chest to chest with the Michael because we played starters versus the, the, mm -hmm. the bench guys. Phil always had stars versus the bench guys. He didn't mix it up <laughs> when so they had real practices we, back in the day, yeah. every day in practice. We ain't win any day except for one. When Hop <laughs> finally did what I said, just, just said hit, hit, banging MJ with elbows and shoulders and, and taking him to the hole <laughs> and not backing away from the contact, getting physical with him on defense and knocking him to the ground. And we won that day. And we were so happy for Hop. We literally, Stacy and I literally lifted him on our shoulders. I remember we're at a practice, we're at a health club. We lift him on our shoulders and parade him around the health club through the by the <laughs> spa where ladies were getting their nails and their hair did. And, and like we had just won the championship. We had never beat, we had never beat them before, right? So we thought, okay, this is the start of something. Now hop's yeah. ready to go. And then the next day, <laughs> we got trashed again. It's all hot up again. <laughs> He made it a couple of games into the following season and they had to trade him. But that was, oh. that was, that was one story that I, I, I had to sugarcoat a little bit for the book. Um, I, was that, was that just, MJ had no the chill. Words, it just had the, no the words chill. from MJ. Ah, I see. I see. Yeah. yeah he had, there, he had no, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off here. But MJ just had no chill when it came to competition. And mm -hmm. he didn't know how to let hop off up off the mat a little bit just to get him some confidence every now and again. He just mm -hmm. wouldn't do it. 
Yeah, he's just uh, going straight for the juggler every possession. I mean, but to be great, right, you have to be somewhat of a bully, right? Um, he, 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 to have that killer. I love playing for him. Hop, Hop wanted, you know, he wanted the NBA lifestyle, bro. He liked the cars, he liked the car, the, the clothes, he liked mm. the status. He wasn't there to put in that work every day on the same <laughs> Michael. Mm. Yeah. And Michael so, knew that. And, and that, that pissed Mike MJ off. So, uh, so you get into the NBA undrafted. You go to this summer league game, and 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 MJ refers you, and all of a sudden you end up a Chicago Bull. <laughs> you win three titles off the rip. Uh, if I know it's a difficult uh, ask that I have for you right now, but if I had to, and, and outside of that, come back in the fourth quarter, if I had to ask you, you said you could only bottle up. One memory from your three championships. It could be a plane ride. It could be a celebration. It could be a party. turning point. Something, something that changed your career. Something that made your not career. Even, something that just not just even enjoyed. a turning point. Not okay. even a turning point. Just like if you could, if I said Chicago Bulls first three chips, what is that first image or the lasting image that comes to your mind? I I, th- I think I I touched on it a little bit. Ninety two. Um, I dislocated a finger, required surgery. I, I, I opted not to do it because I was I had cracked the cracked the rotation. Um, I told you about you know having to sneak into practice between uh, sessions as they looked at another player, Mark Randall, that they wanted to try to give my job to. Um, mm-hmm. Working my way to where I was the first big off the bench in the Eastern Conference Finals against the New York Knicks. Uh, playing in the NBA Finals, uh, he- heavy heavy minutes and and thriving uh, in Game One, where we won by 30 points. Playing in the fourth quarter, down 15. When I know Phil Jackson wouldn't tell you this, uh, Danny, but he threw the towel in. He was looking forward to Game Seven. Oh, he pulled the plug. And he threw all the guys and said, "You guys go ahead and see what you can do." Yeah, okay, put the mop up crew in there, right? Yeah. The only starter he left out there was Scottie Pippen because we didn't have a ball handler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but. Uh, that was that was proud because like I said, those were the cats that we played with. We never we never mixed up starters and, and bench guys. Mm-hmm. So he threw us out there. We looked at each other like this dude don't time. think we can do it. Let's yeah. go, let's go shock the world. And Hansen hit a three and Pippen scored inside and uh Stacey King got a bucket and uh, and one on a flagrant foul. And next thing you know, that the Chicago Stadium that was lifeless was roaring. And we caught some of that energy and adrenaline and we chopped into that deficit, cut up the three. And like I said, they put MJ back out there to sick him and that, and the rest was histories. But that, that year, 92 start to finish um, was probably my, my proudest moment uh, in the league. I, I also wonder too, if we go back to the next, if you go to 93, 94, and this is where you and Danny have a little bit of a parallel too. Obviously, you guys both went to North Carolina. So Danny starts his career with the Cleveland Cavaliers and didn't get any minutes. And <laughs> next and end of the year, what happens? LeBron goes off to Miami. And now the whole thing in Cleveland is upside down, topsy-turvy. <laughs> the Cavaliers didn't at the time did not see Danny's worth on the team. And all of a sudden, Danny's no longer a Cleveland Cavalier. You're with the Chicago Bulls. You win three championships. Everything is gravy until, let me make sure I get the right date, October 6, 1993. Uh Michael Jordan retires. Hmm. What do you remember from that moment? And how how did you predict at that time it was going to impact your career? Well, you know, for me, it was, we had a press conference uh, and... You know, I think Jerry Reinsdorf, who was a president of the, of the ball club, said that it was a, it was a time for celebration. But and you looked at the players' faces; it, it was it was like a, a funeral. Like nobody celebrating his retirement. We 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 knew one of the greats of uh, of the game, and I and I consider him the greatest of all time. Dan, I don't know where you weigh in on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was it was like a funeral, and I, I felt bad because. I knew what the pain was uh, to lose a parent that was murdered. And I felt in my heart 
that MJ's stepping away from the game didn't have to do with him not feeling like he had anything else to accomplish, like he had said. I don't think it had anything to do with, you know, the demands from the fans. Um, I think he, he needed time to mourn the loss of his dad, who was, you know, murdered for his car and his, and his ring, for, for people that don't know that story, uh, on the highway. So I didn't know. I was so triggered by that event. I didn't know how to reach out to MJ uh, and, and, and try to embrace him and let him know what I was going through because I, hell, I had suppressed a lot of my feelings up until that point myself. I hadn't really dealt with my own stuff. And I felt, and I write in my book and how even to this day, I've never talked to him about that. And it's one of the biggest things that I regret not being around him more. I mean, I can still text him and he'll text me back, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have that time with him to really say, you know, I, I kind of feel bad that I didn't do more to help you or at least be there if you needed someone to talk to about what had happened to his father. And I think when he got away from the game and he had a chance to mourn, not so much in the, you know, being the, the face of the NBA, uh, but going down there and doing that thing down in Birmingham with shagging fly balls, uh, I think it gave him a chance to miss the game a little bit, mourn his father. And then he came back, you know, after that, you know, 94, 95 season. I wish he would have told me he's coming back. I never would have, I never would have signed that eight-year deal, Philly. But <laughs> I love playing with him. And I knew what the success that follows with the guy. Guy refuses to leave, lose at anything. So I always felt like we were going to a playoff series. We might not win every game of the series, but I knew we were going to series. And mm-hmm. pretty much once he had hit his stride with Pippen, uh, and after Pippen had his little taste of the dream team in 92 and elevated his game, because a lot of people don't remember Pippen was fantastic in 93, 94 without MJ. You know, he mm-hmm. was, he was like number three in the MVP voting, right? I mean, right behind, I thought he and Akeem were right there. Uh, Kim Elijah were right there for, you know, could have won co-MVP honors. If you ask me, we mm-hmm. won, I want to say two fewer games than the year we, than the year prior, uh, the MJ retired. So Pip had us on point, um, but my exit, my exit with, with Jerry Krause and, and uh, Phil Jackson after the 93 season just did not go well. And mm-hmm. they told me they had no idea what kind of player I was going to be. And, you know, offered me another non-guaranteed contract. And I think guys that I was playing in front of were getting four and five year deals. I'm like, good God, man, what do I got to do? What do I got to prove? Yeah. So, you know, I played 90, 46 minutes in game three of a triple overtime game and one of the longest games in the history of the NBA finals. I mean, you had me out there for all three overtimes in the fourth quarter. So <laughs> obviously you got, you must think something of me as a player. Yeah. So I knew I needed to leave to, to get, to get an opportunity to gain some respect uh, elsewhere in the league. But I love Chicago. I loved my teammates. I love the fans. And, um, that, that was probably the biggest takeaway from that 93-94 season that we just came up a little bit short to the Knicks that year. Uh, but we, but I was proud of what we accomplished given that blow um, to losing the, the game's greatest player. So that meeting, was it more Kraus than it was Phil? Like how was, how was the air, how was the feel between the players Staff yeah, and Kraus. I, you know, I know, you know Mike it, didn't have a good. He didn't have in his last dance. He didn't have a uh, his. Uh, I guess the conclusion of it wasn't wasn't great when it came to talking about Kraus. No, you know, we're, all of us had our different battles with Kraus, and you know, I, I had kind of a a bittersweet relationship because in one way, I'm not an NBA if Jerry Kraus doesn't pick up the phone and call my agent and give me an invitation to mm-hmm. come to, to camp. Where Jerry burned his bridge with me was he went to Coach Smith without talking to me and said I was doing drugs. And I said, I had, ne- I had never smoked marijuana. I had never done no drugs my entire life. And it, I didn't smoke my first joint till I was 48 years old, Danny. So <laughs> I, I, I was, Coach Smith came to me and told me this. I was livid. I said, there's, only, there's nobody I'd ever want to feel like I'd let down uh, in this world than Coach Smith. Mm-hmm. And I was waiting for crowd. I was up at seven o'clock in the morning. I drove to the facility and I, we had just moved in uh, to our new our, uh, training facility and I was waiting for crowds to show up. And I, and I jumped his SHIT and was up in his, up in his fat little face. 
and saying, don't you ever put, I said, I'll take a drug test right now. Don't you ever put that on, uh, on me. And he said, oh, we can't drug test you. And we heard from a reliable source and, and he never apologized. And so, what, so that's what made him say that because he heard from a reliable source was, what was the, was there something spiraling? Was something happening that made him even <laughs> come to that conclusion? To I like, have no oh, idea where it came from. You know, Honestly, a little no out of, idea, out of character. No idea where it came, came out of nowhere. Okay. Only, only thing I could think of was after my rookie year, um, they put me out in the suburbs of, uh, of uh, Illinois uh, called Wheeling. And here I am, 22 years old, won a championship. I was downtown every night. <laughs> Big Will was getting his, par getting his party <laughs> on downtown, right? So I'm driving back every night up the highway going, this is not good. You know, this is, this is pre-Uber. You know, I go, this is, this yeah. is, this is not good. So yeah. I got, I got, if I'm going to hang out downtown, I got to live downtown. So uh, I, told, okay. I was moving downtown and they went eight. They did not, oh, you're going to be late for practice. Uh, you're going to be stuck in traffic, this, that, and the other. They didn't want me to move downtown. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I'm a grown man. I don't think there's anything in the NBA rules that says I can't live downtown. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I moved downtown and uh, I don't think he liked that. So mm -hmm. I think there was, a, that drove a little bit of a wedge that here I am, you know, this, this young player should be grateful for this opportunity that coach that because Jerry thought he was a little little king of everybody, right? Like he thought he <laughs> strutted around like he was like well, he had Napoleon complex. All these big, taller, more <laughs> yeah. athletic players because he controlled the checkbook, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I was always respectful of Phil Jackson, even though I didn't have a great relationship with him. I was always respectable all all of my all of my coaches because that was the Carolina way, right, Dan? You, mm -hmm. Yes, sir. And 100%. And you didn't, you didn't do, you didn't body language was on, on point. You didn't talk back. You, you, you I, my thing was you run for a wall. If the kid asked you to, you know, if one of those coaches, what Johnny Bach would ask me to run through the wall on defense, I would, I would, run, I would literally give him my best shot. And uh, I think that made Krause upset that here I am being defiant and not doing what he told me to do. Mm -hmm. and, but I knew it. But I knew it was the best thing for me. Actually, it worked out to be the greatest thing because we we games were downtown. So when everybody Easy, else was right like traffic coming downtown, I had a fifteen minute, not even a fifteen minute commute. It was like ten minute commute. It was golden. Uh, yeah. So I had no stress of being late for the games and getting fined and trying to make sure I got there in time to get my shots up and all that other kind of stuff. It was great. And when everybody was coming into the city in the morning, I was going out of the city in the morning. I had my mm. newspaper on my lap. Yeah, that's back when we had newspapers. Newspaper <laughs> on my lap. I'm OJ, you know, and I was I was cruising, and it was the greatest thing. So that probably uh, for me was the thing that you know kind of just chapped my ass with with, with Jerry Krause. So he was kind of the guy in that meeting, uh, along with Phil, because Phil he Phil's you know knows what kind of player I'm. He, hey, he's the one playing me. He's the one that said, yeah, I don't know what kind of player you are. I should have, I should have, you know, all the things you, you wish you would have said, or you dreamt yeah. about saying later, like yeah. I, I didn't speak up for myself because again, here I am trying to be respectful. I'm trying, I'm trying to get another yeah. one out of these turkeys too. And, mm -hmm. uh, I had to sit there and eat it. And I said, you know, well, it's something that this is the last year of my, you know, you can only be an unrestricted uh, free agent after four years. I said, after this, I'm gone. And mm -hmm. I won't have to deal with this no more. Oh. Uh, Scott, you, you, you referenced uh, Krauss there uh, questioning or wondering if you were smoking weed. And obviously, we are living in a very different world as it pertains to that. <laughs> Even in the NBA, we are just in a different world as it pertains to a number of things. Uh, you mentioned the trauma that you had gone through in your childhood and that you had to deal with when you're at North Carolina. Uh, what we're seeing now in the NBA, especially in this age of social media, uh, is mental health being prioritized a lot more than it ever was before. I saw here on Tuesday, Andre Drummond, uh, basically uh, a Chicago Bull right now, uh, shut off his social media saying he wants to protect his uh, mental health. Uh, Kyrie Irving uh, has stood up for Luka Doncic saying that you can't, what his comments about him not being happy is not necessarily about how he's playing. It could also be about things going on off the court. Malik Beasley, who now plays for the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, he hasn't claimed mental health, but uh, recently he had to quote-unquote clap back at Lakers fans for negative commentary uh, that they put on a recent Instagram post where he was just trying to say happy birthday to a family member. I say to his son. Yeah, 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 to, to his, his son. son's birthday. Yeah. 
Yeah, I tried. John, John Morant, I think it's taken some time too here. Yeah, and John Morant had to go to Florida and and deal with how he deals with stress. I'm I'm curious your thoughts now and where we are as a society and where we are right now in the in the NBA and how the public are viewing athletes now being more vocal about prioritizing and taking care of their mental health and maybe that that's speaking to you uh, even stronger considering your background. I'm I'm all for it. I'm glad these guys are recognizing that they do need to uh, take care of their mental health. It's a great thing to be a professional athlete. You're always working on your body, conditioning, and weight training. Um, but your your mental health probably more important than anything when it comes to uh, your overall health. And with you needing some time to take take some time away, that's wonderful. I'm glad that there is structure, uh, not only through the league, but also individually with the team to be able to have people in place to recognize that, to get guys the counseling uh, or the time away that they need. Yeah, well, shout out to those guys too, yeah. I just wanna, you know, uh, let them know that we're thinking of them, spread my love and, you know, positive vibes to them. You know, Drum is a guy that I've been teammates with and I've known Kai for some time, obviously teammates with Ja. A lot of these guys, it's a brotherhood, it's a fraternity. Um, let them know that, you know, we're always thinking of them and sending our prayers to them. And if they need an outlet, they can always reach out to me if they have my number. Um, but they know, you know, where to go and who to reach out to um, in, you know, times of, you know, like this or these crises. Um, so, yeah, I just want to let, you know, the world know, let them know that, um, you know, first of all, it, it takes a brave person to step forward and say that they have some mental health issues and to publicly acknowledge it. Um, so I just want to encourage them and tell them, you know, we're behind them and we're here to support them, so whatever they need, um, and show them as much love as possible. So, you know, for those who are interacting with them or teammates with them, share a locker room with them or know them, you know, be sure to check in on them, you know, give them the, your support and your love as well. So on top of uh, winning three yeah. NBA championships, on top of uh, playing at North Carolina and having a 15-year NBA career, uh, now Scott is a color analyst for Grand Canyon uh, men's and women's basketball. Is that correct? Men's and women's? Yep. Yes, Harrison. Okay. All right. So uh, Grand Canyon, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe my brackets aren't lying to me, uh, played in the NCAA tournament against Gonzaga. Uh, yeah. They ended up losing. Gonzaga eventually got blown out by UConn. But it's fair to say, uh, I, I assume you've watched your fair share of college basketball. We've got yeah. a very unique Final Four, FAU taking on San Diego State, UConn <laughs> taking on Miami. Who's cutting down the nets? <laughs> you know, I wrote that on my pad. I wanted to ask Danny that same question. So you, but you beat me to it, Harrison. So, you know, yes, we're very proud of uh, what the Lopes have done this year. They uh, overcome a lot of injuries. They lost the preseason player of the year, their point guard. You got, Danny, you know how important a point guard is at college is. basketball level. Uh, they, they stubbed their toe a few times when they were trying to, you know, get in the top three and get a buy, uh, excuse me, the top four that we got a buy in the, in the WAC tournament in Vegas. Uh, ended up finishing outside the top four, had to play four tough games over five days to win the tournament, the conference tournament, the second time in three years to make it to the big dance. So shout out to all those cats. You mentioned the Irish Hulk earlier, uh, uh, Gahan, uh, and, uh, you know, Ray Harrison was a beast this year, Chance McBill, and my, my, my dirt worker, Gabe McLaughlin. So I'll throw him a shout out there as well. And give Coach Bryce Drew uh, a lot of credit for keeping that team together. They could have splintered and given up and gone a different direction when he was so under so much adversity. But he's really built a culture uh, on that program uh, at GCU that is going to uh, be around for a long period of time. One of the top um, uh, mid-majors uh, year after year. So they're very excited and we're very excited about what that team uh, can come back and do next year. If we don't get poached by all the players in the portal this year, Danny, like our Tar Heels yeah, are getting yeah. poached this year. It's getting ridiculous. Um, but uh, yeah, the, 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 the tournament this year, you know, my brackets got busted right away. I had Kansas <laughs> repeat as championship at champions this year. Uh, and I felt so good about all my picks this year. Uh, That's what it turns out being the worst. That's yeah. what it turns out being the worst. When yes, you have the it has been. It has been the absolute worst. I, after the first two days, I was in second place, and now I'm just getting crushed. I don't even look anymore. I have no idea what place I'm in. But uh, you know, you, you had mentioned uh, the, the games, uh, UConn and Miami. I gotta feel like the winner of that was probably winning, cutting down the nets. And as much as I respect what they're doing at, 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 at UConn. 
I kind of, I'm pulling, and I don't say this very often, but for the ACC team, I know Danny Artarios couldn't make it this year. Uh, we, we were right there in that championship game a year ago, and I love that shot Love had against uh, Duke in the, in the semifinal game to knock out Coach K and send him packing for the rest of his career. Happy trails, Coach K. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this year, I, I honestly think that uh, it's going to be the winner of that game, and I'm hoping it's going to be Miami. I'm with yeah. you with that. I'm going I'm to try to, I'm pushing for the ACC team, but I think it's going to be UConn. I think the Cinderella story with FAU is, is coming to an end very soon. Um, but I think that they, I think FAU gets to the national championship, surprisingly so, possibly, you know, beating the San Diego State. Is that who they play in? Uh, H? Yep, San Diego State. Um, yep. I like San Diego State, but I think FAU is going to upset them. And I see, I see FAU and, and UConn matching up, and I, I think UConn's probably going to get that one. But I'm pushing for Miami. Yeah, yeah. the, the crazy right. thing about college basketball, though, you, you think FAU's a Cinderella, then you look at their roster and you realize a bunch of them came from uh, higher, uh, well-known D1 schools like Vlad Golden, the big man, played at Texas Tech. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a brand-new day in college basketball. That is for sure. Looking forward to uh, seeing what happens there in the Final Four. Uh, coach, uh, well, sorry, not, not coach, uh, I, uh, Scott, it's been a pleasure. I don't know if you have any more gems for us. I know if if they really want all the gems, they got to go get the book. They got to get the but book, if, right? And where, right. Where, right. Where's, where's, where's the best place? Here, right? Yeah, the book <laughs> is Through the Fire, a memoir of trauma of loss, basketball, and triumph. Uh, yeah, we, it's, it just uh, came out on Amazon. You can find it on Amazon. It's in Kindle, um, uh, paperback and, and a hardcover. So uh, however you like to, to read, it's not, I, it's not a lot of fluff. It's not, you know, I was born on a cold, windy night in 1968. It's got a little jock feel to it. It's kind of written in a, in a way the kids can like it. It's, it's short hitting stories uh, that are impactful. Uh, so I get a lot of, I get a lot of, uh, you know, people saying, Hey, it triggered me. It brought me to tears. I had to put it down for a little bit. Um, which I guess is, is not such a bad thing. So I wanted to stir some emotions in people and realize that, you know, by supporting this book, they're helping support domestic violence centers. So uh, I, I, want it, I want it to be real. I want people to connect with it. Um, I think the only real knock I got, people want more. They, they go, you know, I, I, I didn't put it down. I read it start to start to cover to finish and um, they want more. So I go, maybe that's not such a bad knock after all. Maybe we have to Figure out how to do a uh, a second Number one. Number two. There you go. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Well, congrats, man, on everything. Thank you once again for joining us, man. It's been a, real, a true pleasure and honor, man, to have you on, our, on my podcast. I've watching you since I was a youngin, um, and now I have you on my podcast and being a fan of ours, which is this is crazy. It's a you know everything oh, comes full circle. Harrison, I'm telling you, inside the green room. I mean, you called me when you when you text me. I, I was so nervous to send the text today. I go, that dude's gonna look at me like you don't even know who I am. Why me? Why is he texting me? And, and you got <laughs> to me right away, invited me on on. Uh, a few hours later, it meant the world to me, man. That Carolina family bond is strong, my brother. I really okay. appreciate it, guys. For sure. Thank you, man. Best of luck and best of luck to everybody else um, that's has their brackets uh, for the rest of the, this weekend. <laughs> no, nobody's up. got nobody's got and a right bracket anymore. The NBA anymore. playoffs are coming Practice soon. Um, I said, hopefully your boy will be back on the court. I was out a couple of days with an illness, but I'll be back soon in a couple of days. Uh, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. Read, rate, subscribe, review. You know what to do, H. Five stars, please. See you guys next week. Good stuff. Yeah, man.